You guys panicked yet? Is the sound team wondering if my mic's on? I, uh, I debated whether I was going to make that long pause, but I was like, is this going to be more awkward for the audience or me? I'm not sure, to be honest. I thought I would get to 10. I only got to 7. So hopefully that helps you. We hate quiet, don't we? Like, if we're really honest, we hate moments of silence. We get super awkward when there's not something to fill the space. Our society feeds on this. We fill our commutes with podcasts, audiobooks, radio shows. Does people listen to radio? I don't know, but uh, whatever you've got. We've got this thing on Netflix that just instantly plays the next episode so that you don't have any pause, so that you can just immediately get to the next thing. We, we hate silence. We need to fill our lives. We need to consume constantly. Why do we do this? Why? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why do you hate silence? I've come to love silence. I've come to, to love and enjoy the quiet. But this world has like a different thing for us. Uh, it, there, there's something about this world that keeps us consuming, that keeps us going on to the next thing. As I was preparing my sermon and I was trying to find a moment of quiet, uh, I got a notification on my phone, which it's designed to do that. I don't know if you guys realize that, but it's like designed to grab your attention away from something else. Uh, and of course, you know what this notification was? It was uh, Apple's event this week. I don't know if you guys pay attention to that, but I've, for whatever reason, love those Apple events. I love to watch them. I love to see what the next new product is. And so this Apple event comes on. And by the way, I don't know uh, if you guys watch this, but did anybody notice, why did they remove all of the thes out of like the products? It's no longer the iPhone, but it's just iPhone. Like, either the, the robot uprising has come, or, or like uh, Tim Cook's speech was written by the cookie monster. It, <laughs> seriously, he, he's like, you want iPhone? You love iPhone. You want watch? For, I don't know what is going on, but our devices have taken on some sort of new humanity. And, and instead of like separating ourselves from them, we've sort of become them. Like I've read articles about the phones being you know, attachments of our body. And they keep us from quiet. And they keep us poured into this world. And they keep us distracted. Is that what we were meant for? Do, do you find rest in your iPhone? Then why do you keep going to it? <laughs> I, I just assumed you answered no, but hopefully, maybe you answered yes. Well, you need the sermon. Uh, this is the world we live in. This is what's going on. We are distracted. What are we distracted from? It, it, this... Uh, this kind of quest for quiet has, has uh, hit an all-time high for me as I went hunting a couple of weeks ago. Um, some of you are like, all right, here we go with the hunting stories. And so ho- hopefully you're okay with hunting. If you're not, uh, I was vegan hunting. Uh, I should probably rephrase that. I was not hunting vegans. Um, shoot. Okay. Okay. I hunt. I'm sorry. Get over it. I didn't actually really kill anything. I killed a bird, but like, who cares? It was just a bird. Um, but as I was hunting, 
um, I had so much quiet time. I, you know, I was out there in the woods for quite a while, and I had so much quiet time. But but something happened uh, when I was hunting. Uh, I was go I went with a bunch of buddies of mine, and we've been friends for since high school, since like 15. And we have these awesome connections, these awesome relationships. But, you know, I remember one morning we decided to take the morning off and we were just sitting around. And, and this group of guys that sort of like kind of represents humanity, uh, everybody has sort of this different belief system, right? Like it's not just a bunch of, uh, you know, people who agree that, you know, uh, on God or anything. It's people with all different sorts of beliefs. So it's this group of guys and we're all just sitting around and of course, like, topics start to come up as they do when you're just kind of sitting around as dudes. And so we started arguing, we started talking about COVID. Like, seriously, do we have to do this? We're hunting. You don't have to put on a mask. Like, we don't even need to talk about them right here. We're out here in the woods. Uh, and, and guys started arguing. And we began to argue and we began to talk about just what's, what's the right way to live? Should you get a vaccine? Should you not get a vaccine? Should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Should you vote Democrat? Should you vote Republican? I mean, we got into everything. We got into what genders are right, how many genders should there be, and we begin to argue, and I remember just getting quiet. I remember looking at my friends, and I remember getting very frustrated, very angry, do these topics get you guys angry, or like you guys just okay with everything? But no, hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll we'll get something out of this today. Then, but everybody's getting angry, and these are these are guys that I love and that I've been friends with for the longest time. But we sat there arguing about who's right, and each one of us had our own version of right. But it was on this hunting trip that God gave me a revelation. See what I did there? It's pretty good, huh? God came to me. It, believe it or not, God gave me a vision. And he gave me a vision for this passage today. And he wanted to remind me of something. And as I thought about what sermon do I give Outward Church, many of you uh, know this and maybe you don't today, but uh, I'm not going to call this my last sermon. You're not that lucky. Um, but it might be, uh, you, you might not see me much around here. Uh, I'm going up to a church up in the Seattle area, and I'm going to uh, be a pastor there. And so I wanted to leave you guys with something. I wanted to leave you guys with sort of what's on my heart. I wanted to, to preach from my heart today. But, but God doesn't want me to give you my version of what's right. God doesn't want me to point to me and to say, Matt Baldwin says, this is how you need to live your life. What God wanted me to remind you, and what he reminded me is, I've already done it. I've already completed it. He wanted to remind me, and he wants to remind you today, that you have a true authority. You have a true authority. You don't have to get it right today. You don't have to know the right way to live. You don't have to argue with your friends anymore about what's right, about what you believe. You don't have to decide whether you should move out of state to find somebody 
who's going to give you a better authority. You have a true authority that can go with you wherever you go and can guide you wherever you need to be guided. And he wants to remind you today that you have a true king. Not your iPhone king, not your political king. He has a true king who doesn't ask you to die for him, but a true king who died for you. And with this true king who has the true authority, you will remember your true identity. The person you were made to be. The person that this world hates. The person that's set free from identities that divide, like Democrat or Republican. Or you needing to find your identity in what sexual preference you have or what gender you are. You're released from these false identities and you're given a true identity. And God has that vision for you today. And so I want to give you his revelation, not mine. So I'm just going to address the obvious here. Revelation is sort of a weird book to preach from if you're going to do like a final sermon or whatever, but I mean, it is the last book of the Bible, so there's some symbolism there. But, I, you know, I was talking to a lot of people today, and they were just saying, like, oh, I don't even, I don't even want to go into Revelation. I don't even want to, I don't even like reading that book. And many of us have that feeling. We don't really study Revelation. It's really weird. Like, I don't know if you followed along with the text that was read today, but there's stuff like creatures covered in eyeballs and seven horns and all kinds of weird stuff. So let's just, let's just address the obvious here that there's some weird, appearing to be weird stuff in Revelation. But I think that it's no mistake by the enemy that he wants you to stay out of this book. I think he would love for you to misinterpret or misunderstand any book of the Bible, which we often do. But I think most importantly and most especially, he doesn't want you to dive into the book of Revelation. And I think we're going to see here today why. Do you know what Revelation is? It's called apocalyptic literature. Uh, it's kind of one of the uh, special books of the Bible. But re- what, if I could boil down Revelation in one sentence, it's Jesus' story from Jesus' perspective. Revelation is a glimpse into heaven. God gives us a window into his view. The problem with it is, is that we're, we're kind of, we're not God, and so we can't exactly see things the way he sees things, but he gives us imagery to understand it, right? So when you see these weird things in Revelation, God is using those images to show you what he wants you to derive from the information. So just remember that as you go in today, that in Revelation we see that God uses imagery in order for us to understand a a work that has been completed from his perspective. In the Gospels, we get to see man's perspective of what Jesus did. In Revelation, we get to see Jesus' perspective of what Jesus has done. Because in his reality, it's all accomplished, and it's finished, and it's done. And that is actually our reality today. 
So Revelation starts out in five um, I, with authority. It, it addresses the, the issue of authority. And actually, it really starts in, in chapter four. And before I dive, dive into this, I just want just to answer the question. I think many of us have a problem already from the start is because you may not actually think it, but many of us today actually don't believe in authority. Or maybe we don't believe in being sub, uh, subjected to others' authority. See, uh, humanity has had this issue all along. It started in the garden. We used to believe in one God, and then we didn't really like the way that the one God worked, so we had many gods, but humanity doesn't really like that, so we didn't like the rule of the many gods, so we came down and we, we had human gods, and then we had kings, and we've gotten to this point today where we have elected officials, but really, like, do we even pay attention to those? We, we, we don't even like our elected officials, nor do we believe that they have authority, and so we've got celebrities, and we, we live in sort of like celebrity culture, but I think we've even flattened the authority curve more than that. Uh, we've got like YouTubers, and we've got, you know, uh, what are those called, the, the Instagram people, the influencers. We've got influencers, right? We have all become our own authority. I was picking my girls up from their, the neighbor's house the other day, and this little girl goes up to me, and she's like, what's your YouTube channel? And I was like, yeah, dude, this girl needs to hear what I'm saying, so I'm definitely going to give her my YouTube channel. Do you, do we, like, we have all these social media platforms because we, we believe, I'm just going to address this, we believe we are the authority. Like, go and look at your, your Twitter feed, or I don't know what, what social media platform you have, but are you not expressing your authority of how the world should work on there? So I would argue, yes, there is authority. I would argue that there is a right way to live. You see, it's not your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. That statement doesn't even make sense when you think about it because what you're saying is your truth is my truth. You can't say there is no truth. That's a truth statement. But we don't stop and think about that. We just want to be the authority but we don't want anybody to tell us how to live our life. But it's not working out so great for us. We need a true authority. We need a right way to live. So in Revelation, chapter 4 really kind of dives right into chapter 5. Chapter 4 sets the scene. In the, in, uh, in the scene of chapter 4, what you see is you have... Uh, 24, they call them 24 elders, right? There's this, there's this sort of window into heaven, and, and what you see is you have these 24 elders, and we could get into, uh, you know, what those elders are and, and why 24, but really if we just boil it down to what everybody sort of universally agrees upon is that the 24 represents the church, that there's the, the 12 tribes of Judah from the Old Testament, you've got the 12 apostles sort of symbolizing this unity of God's people, that God's chosen people are, are, are represented here in this number 24 uh, and, and the elders. And so you have the church, and they're wearing these white robes, and they have these crowns. And there's some authority. They each, have, they each actually have their own thrones. And so you're, 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 you're looking at God's view, God's perspective of the fact that authority exists. And there is an authority. But above these elders... 
kind of closer to this throne, you have these four creatures. Uh, one one is sort of has the appearance of a man, one has the appearance of an eagle, one has the appearance of a, an ox, and uh, one has the appearance, uh, what did I do, man, eagle, ox, and uh, what am I missing here? No, not lamb. I'm just, this is a Bible quiz right here. A lion, thank you. You get the gold star today. So, so again, we could argue about uh, what those mean, but it sort of assimilizes different characteristics of God. But each one of these is individualized. And then it says that, that here's where we get into some more of that weird stuff. Uh, they're covered in eyes inside and out, and each of them have six wings. So I don't know, it, I don't know if you like stop and pause there and just sort of go, what the heck? Um, I'm going to go back to my hunting trip and just sort of try to set this up for you. Uh, I remember when I was hunting in the woods, and I was hunting for elk, and um, so I'm sitting there above this wallow, and I look, I'm looking down, and then all of a sudden I hear this noise behind me, and I just see like this, this kind of like brown rear end of a creature kind of go over a hill, and I was like, I think that was an elk. Um, yeah, I'm a really good hunter, by the way. Uh, and so I, I, I did check the wind, and I saw that the wind was not in my favor. So I decide I'm going to, like, parallel this elk and get ahead of it. I'm a super good hunter. And I'm going to turn around, and then I'm gonna, the elk's going to, like, run into me, and I'm going to shoot it. Um, I archery hunt, so I have to get a little bit closer. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm a real hunter. I hunt archery, by the way. <laughs> Just wanted to offend all you rifle hunters out there who have been taking shots at me ever since I got back to my, from my trip. Oh, you didn't get anything? Yeah, no, sorry. Um, and so, I, so I, I'm moving, and then I remember, like, I step on this branch, and I remember the branch cracks, and, I, and, I, and then I hear, like, some rustling behind me. This was a pretty freaky moment for me, because what I realized at that moment, that I was not the hunter, I was the hunted. So I turn around, and I'm, I turn around, and I'm, what I see is, no joke, this, like, huge bull. Just, I mean, it was, like, 70 feet tall with, like, it was like a 140-point bull. Um, a, the champion of all bulls is looking straight at me. I remember this moment of feeling like, I, this may sound weird to you, but it was almost like worship. It was like awe. It was like, dude, these creatures are amazing. Like, why am I hunting these things? This thing, what am I kidding myself? If I didn't have, like, a bow or a gun, man, I would be gone. Can you even imagine if it had, I don't know, how many eyes inside and out and six wings? And These are creatures in this room that if, if you were to actually see what was going on, you might be tempted to actually worship them. You would be in awe. We need to see the imagery here that God is trying to give us. There is power in this room. Like, you notice what's not in this room? CEOs, presidents, kings of earthly nature. I should probably clarify there. Celebrities, YouTubers, Instagrammers. They're not even mentioned. They're not even worth anything. Their power is nothing in comparison to the power that is in this room. But there's even something greater. See, it starts out by saying that there was one throne. 
Here's the problem with our world. We don't believe in the one authority. We want all of our authority. But God gives us in Scripture, he says there was one. Not four, not 24, not the thousands of angels or millions of angels that are also later on we see that are in this room. There's one. And so this scene opens up challenging your perspective of authority, showing you that there's this throne. I, I can't even begin to describe it to you. John uses some imagery here of lightning and thunder coming from it, and these, it's made of amazing stones, and somehow there's a rainbow. Like, it just blows my mind. We, we can't begin to comprehend the authority and power in this room. Authority exists, and there's one. And so there's one seated in this throne. And chapter 5 begins by sort of zooming in on what's in his right hand. And so we see this sort of zoom in, the cinematic zoom, as if to focus your attention on the scroll. And it says that the scroll is made up of words on front and back, which is sort of unusual because most of the time in this day and age, scrolls had one side. They were made of skins or different things that had like a rough side and a soft side. But this scroll was written on it, front and back. And John also points out that there's seven seals. This scroll is sealed seven times. And then what happens next is he wants you to know that there's a, a strong angel. I think that the, the word strong here is used to sort of present like this powerful authority figure says, kind of makes a challenge. It's sort of like a, like a gladiator challenge here, like, who can open the scroll? And I wonder if we really saw God's power for the way it is, we might respond the way that we see it responded to here in the beginning of chapter 5. There's the challenge. Can you open the scroll? Do you have that authority? Many of us act like we do. We live our lives as if we have the ability to open this scroll. So this challenge is made. Who can open the scroll? And here's the problem. John says that no one above heaven, on it, or below it, even dares to touch it to even look inside of it. Nobody. Think about what I just told you. There are some of the most powerful creatures, creatures you, you can't even fathom their power on heaven, in heaven, on earth, below it. Creation, this symbolizes creation. It's Genesis 1 language here, or beginning of uh, Genesis language here. This is early Genesis language. It's talking about creation. Created things cannot open this scroll. And I believe the way I see it is John is looking around, hoping, praying, excited to see someone open the scroll, but what does it say happens? No one can do it, and he weeps. Why does he weep? 
you wonder that? Why do we weep? Why don't we? See, John knows something that I think you and I fail to think about deep enough because I think if we did, we would weep. John knows that this scroll represents hope. We can argue about all the symbolism around it, but this scroll represents a completion, a state of being where we do not need the next iPhone, a state of being where we don't need a relationship to fulfill us, a state of being where we don't have to kill to survive, where we don't need nuclear weapons, where we don't need a vaccine, where we don't need to find our identity in ourselves. It's complete. It's written on front and back. It's done. And it's perfect. It has seven seals. Seven, Seven in the Bible represents God's completed perfect plan. Anytime you see the number seven, Think of the earth, complete, done. You think of rest. You think of enjoyment. You think of satisfaction. You think of everything that you've been longing for, everything that was messed up when man decided that they were going to be their own authority, that they needed something else other than what God had given them. Back in the garden, on that day, when we chose something other than God, when we said, I can do it myself, I just need to do something here, I just need to eat the apple. And we became our own authority. And we destroyed this world. And we destroyed creation. And we consume it. And we take from it. And we use others to give us what we need, what we think we need. And we murder and we hate. And we argue and we yell and we sit around with our best friends and we tell them why they're wrong and why they need to submit to our good and perfect way. But John sees something different. He sees hope. He sees what we all long for deep inside, what we know we are created for. And it's in that scroll. It's in the right hand of the true authority. So my question for you today is, do you weep? Do you long for a different way of life? Do you long for hope? Are you still trying to find the right way to live when it's right there in front of you? What do we need? What do we need then? What does John want to show us here as he's weeping? What is shown to him? One of the elders in the room comes by, sees John weeping, says, it's okay, John. There's hope. Don't worry. Yes, creation can't do it, but there's something greater. Turn and look. Who's being announced here? the Lion of Judah. And John, knowing his Bible, knows the reference, knows that this is the the blessing that Jacob gave to his son Judah long ago in Genesis 49, 
where he says, Judah, from you is going to, be, going to come a kingdom of kings, a ruler of all rulers, and he's going to be a lion. He's got power like you've never seen. And then he goes on to say that he tells him it's going to be a descendant of David. And John again knows his Bible. He's read Isaiah, and he knows that there's this prophecy that in Isaiah that the true king that has the true power to fix the world, to overthrow the world, and the evil kingdoms that exist comes from David. And John is desperate for that king. He's desperate for that salvation because he lives in an evil time. We think we have it rough, but do, we, do you look back on first century Rome and think, oh, I, should, I, I wish, we could, wish we could go back there? Can you even imagine? John's friends have been crucified. So many of his friends have died for what they believe in. They're being overthrown by this evil empire that hates God and hates the very thing that he stands for. They even hate each other. They're searching for authority. And so John is looking for that promised king, that powerful king, right? I wonder what, what he expected to see when he turns around. I wonder what you expect to see when you turn around. For me, okay, let's pretend we didn't, we didn't read uh, into the passage, and maybe you haven't, and then that's, this is even better. But I turn around, I see like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Maybe he's like combined with Predator and he's covered in eyes too because everything in uh, Revelation is covered in eyes. And he's hanging from a chopper with a bazooka and he's got like a button that just can explode anything. Like, dude, this king is coming and he is going to bring down the house. He's going to destroy the evil, whatever. And uh, I realize that there's a lot of younger people in the room, so, so maybe it's like, like the Avengers, like all of them combined into one person, and it, again, covered in eyes. Um, I don't know, what is it for you? What, what, is, what is this salvation that's finally going to fix things? Is it a vaccine? Maybe that's what you're turning and hoping to see. I don't know what that looks like, but maybe it's like a needle covered in eyes again. Uh, I'm just going to keep going with this, so have fun with it. Uh, what is it for you? Is, is it a mask? Is it not wearing a mask? Is it your freedom? Is it a different state with a better ruler? Is it a different country? What are you hoping to see when you turn around? What is the line of Judah for you? What is the descendant of David? What is the king that you've been waiting for? What power could you possibly imagine? John turns around. He was probably pretty shocked when he saw a lamb. That's not what he was expecting to see. I don't know if that's what you were expecting to see. I don't know if that's what you're actually putting your hope in, is a lamb. And it's not just a lamb. The word actually used here describes like a little lamb, like Mary's little lamb. I don't think it was actually Mary's little lamb but there's this little lamb. And it's not just a little lamb, but it's a little lamb that had the appearance of being slain. 
I wonder if you can imagine the shock from John. I wonder if you can fathom what's going on here, the imagery that Christ wants to show us. There was this little lamb who had been slaughtered. You see, the person who can open the scroll, not the person, the being who can open the scroll with all of the power in the universe does not come with this apocalyptic vengeance, with this destroying wrath, with this bringing of judgment that says, you must die. The lamb that was slain symbolizes Christ's ability, Christ's power in this world was to give himself up for it, was to sacrifice himself, was to not give in to the way that the world is going, but was to die for it. And what he wants you to remember for all of eternity, what we need to realize is the way that Christ wants to be seen in this window of heaven where this is the picture and image he's giving you of himself Christ wants you to know so deeply and so badly that for all of eternity, what you will see is his sacrifice for you. And that is why you will change. Not because he made you a better person. Not because he's given you a power you didn't have. Not because he's coming to take down all the rulers and all the things. And not just because he wants to take away your sin. There's more to it than that. Christ wants you to remember for all of eternity that there's a new way of doing things. There's a new way that you get to live, that you have been set free from the slavery of this world, that with his blood, it goes on to say that they sang a new song they began a life of worship. Something new happened, something different, something better. It's not a future state. It's an immediate response. When you see the lamb that was slain, when you give up your authority, when you stop placing your hope in the things of this world, when you stop looking for the answers in yourself, and when you finally say, I can't get it right, I can't save myself, I can't become more powerful, I can't make a name for myself that will finally give me what I need inside, that will finally give me the satisfaction that I hope for, when you finally submit to the fact that there was a lamb that was slain for you who had all of the power but loved you so much that he gave it all up gives you a new song and a new life. And you will worship. You will finally begin to understand how you can change. Because no longer does this world have a hold on you. You know where you're going. You have a new identity. And this new song... I just want to point this out. i got to point this out. I'm going to read it from the text here. 
I just love this. I think you guys are going to love this. And we had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Man, how do, I, how do I even tell you how awesome this is? Do you guys see how awesome this is? Do you understand why the things you do matter? God gives us this little glimpse into our part, into eternity. He wants to tell us that the songs that we sing, like, do you know why we love amazing worship here at Outward Church? It's not to entertain you, but it's because it gives glory to God that there's music in worship. But even more important, even way better, there are these golden bowls full of what? Incense. What is that? What is that? We know from Old Testament that incense is this good-smelling aroma to God that pleases him. And in this bowl is every... Who are the saints? Quiz. You are the saints. If you believe and have put your trust in Christ today, you are a saint. And in this bowl, in eternity, living forever, is a pleasing aroma of every prayer you've ever prayed, you will ever pray, and that you could pray right now. It's already there in heaven. Does that not blow your mind? This is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. This is the reality of the king who cherishes every prayer that you've ever given to him. Here's every cry that you've ever cried out. Here's every thank you that you've ever prayed. Every time you've sort of awkwardly like stumbled through a prayer in public and you're like, whoa, there's no way God heard that one. Like, and you, maybe you hope he didn't. Those things matter to God. It's not part of my main point, but I just can't pass it up. It's so beautiful. And it gives us this image of the lamb who loves us so deeply and wants you to know how much you matter to him. And when you talk to God, it's this pleasing aroma to him. He loves it, and he enjoys when you come to him. And it's part of the new song. So with this understanding of the true authority coming from the true king, we can finally begin to understand our true identity. And if you're in this room today, this is your true identity, whether you accept it or not. Deep down inside, I think we all know that we were made for eternity. Deep down inside, I think we all know that there's something wrong with this world. That's why we love the matrix. Brandon is getting super excited right now, just so you know. He's always wished that I would put the matrix in a sermon. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say. But no, really, like, we love movies where we've been sort of like where we, we get this awareness that there's something greater out there and that, that, that we're made for something more. Like, we all want to be Neo. If you haven't seen The Matrix, I don't know what, what movie. Like, Stranger Things is another example of, like, this world that's turned upside down and really there's this reality, but there's something better except for Stranger Things might not be perfect because they live in the right-side-up world, but we, we really live it. Never mind. We live in the upside-down world. Uh... uh Humanity understands deep down inside, the truth is, and I think you all know this, I think deep down inside, if you were to find enough quiet to actually stop being distracted from the slavery of this world, I think you would realize that you were made for something greater. 
the song that they sing says that they were that he was slain and by his blood he ransomed his people like Matt Porter loves the movie Taken right he's he'll probably use it in the next sermon we here's another movie example but we love this idea of being taken back and i want you to see that god has taken you back this is why you've always existed. This is what you were made for. You've been ransomed. You've been set free. No longer does your identity come from your tribe and your language. Like, you have to, you have to be aware that we have so many false identities today. We have so many things that keep us in slavery. We have so many things. We have all of these different sexes that we've created. We have all of these different genders that we've thought up. We have all of these things that we would say, this is me, this is who I am, but they're slavery and they're false. You see, if you are a Christian, if you understand who you really are, you are a person ransomed to God. And, it, and we get to be united. No longer do we have to argue about who's right and who's wrong. No longer do we have to create and strive and tear people apart. We're united, every tribe, every nation, every language, under one God who ransomed himself for us. Now we have true unity. And the mistake that we all can make is we never really see who we really are. We never really take the time to stop and think about what is truth. Even if you're a Christian here today, or even if you aren't, do you know who you are? Do you know whose authority you fall under? Is it the world's authority who wants to consume you, who wants to take you down the path of death? Or do you live under the true king who has the true authority to unite humanity to wrong every right and to bring you into his kingdom as a priest, as a king who will reign, not with power like the world wants, but with sacrifice and humility and a giving up. Who are you today? I want to leave you with this. There's another movie. I'm just going with movies today. It's another movie I love. And this is, not, this is a secular movie, and it's called uh, The Sound of Metal. And in this movie, there's this quote that I just love. It says, the world keeps moving, and it can be a cruel place. Those moments of stillness, that place, that's the kingdom of God. And that place will never abandon you. My challenge for you today, Outward Church, my challenge for you, whoever you are, whatever you call yourself, is to stop. Stop doing. Stop trying. Stop consuming. Stop deciding. Find your moments of quiet where God will come to you and he will remind you that he is the true king with the true authority to give you 
your true identity. So as we go to communion, here's what I'm going to ask. Let's take a second. Let's sit in quiet. Robert, you don't have to stop playing. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll allow that. But let's just allow God to reveal to us the way that he will because he is truth. Let's allow him to reveal to us what he wants to say to us, what he has for us. But most importantly, let's let him remind us of the things he has done. The work that's been accomplished on the cross, the work that's been completed. Today we remember table that sweet reminder of a God that cares so deeply for you a God that knows every sin that you've ever done that you ever will do who knows the slavery of this world who understands it because he gave himself he put himself into it wanted you back so badly. He wanted to ransom you back that he died for you. And today we get to remember his body through the bread that was broken for you. Let's take the bread. And through the blood we remember to live a life paying for your sins. You get to remember that God paid for them already. That work is done and completed and you have a new identity. You get to sing a new song today and you get to be a light unto this world. Let's take that blood that ransomed us back. Revelation 5 ends in worship. It's not just with song but it's with our hearts. And we get to sing today together. We get to sing to that God. We get to sing his praises. Let's do that now.